For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's wonderful. Amen. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ that is coming. He's talking about the resurrection. <coughs> then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Tonight I want to preach you a message that we so desperately need to hear. I need, you need. I want to preach you a message tonight, a Bible study tonight, entitled The Death of Death. And as we study the Scriptures tonight, it will help us. I pray to embolden us, to strengthen us. Everything the Bible preaches gives us, everything God gives in His Word. God gives us these principles or these precepts that we might have convictions about them. That we rock solid about what we believe and what we know. And tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time on this the subject matter of the death of death. And I pray it will help us to just understand a little bit more of the perhaps that we have wanted to venture into. And to understand what the Bible says. May God give encouragement and courage to us. Father, bless your word. Thank you for your people. I pray tonight that you give comfort. I pray you give courage. I pray you consecrate us. I pray you use us all for your glory. I pray for the enable of the Holy Spirit for tonight as I preach. And then for the recording that we'll be doing later for one of our church, church uh, one of our services. May God, you be glorified. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians 15 is perhaps one of the most magnificent chapters of the Word of God. Embodied in chapter 15 is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the foundation of Christianity. It speaks about Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of the believer, the future of every believer, and importantly, about the resurrected body. The Greeks, in their world, had a very instinctive fear of death. The Greeks had a great fear of death. I'll tell you tonight, many of us as Christians have a fear of death. In Athens, which was the citadel of their philosophy, there that place called the Areopagus, they did not believe that a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, was possible. So you can imagine the Apostle Paul going down there to Corinth and Athens. And we'd have to go back to Acts 17 to look at the, the, that, that monumental um, sermon that Paul preached in Acts 17. With that background in mind, there was scoffing. There was, um, you know, just unbelief. And a scorner's attitude towards Paul's preaching about the resurrection of the body. It was completely unimaginable and unthinkable. As far as the Grecians were concerned, they believed the body to be the source of man's weakness and his sin. They viewed the body just basically as a living corpse or as a tomb that life is entrapped in. Now, people got saved in spite of that. 
People got saved down there in Corinth. Paul went to Corinth. He had to preach a little bit, but people got saved. And he emphasized the resurrection in his preaching. Probably, we, we probably would see more people saved during our 21st century if we emphasize more, more about the resurrection in our preaching. But he emphasized that. People got saved, but you have to understand something. When he gets to chapter 15, one of the, the many things, many concerns that were being addressed by the Apostle Paul, one of them was the fact was that the Corinthian believers, this church there, was not, they, they didn't have trouble believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you read this chapter casually, you'll think, well, they probably had a problem about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't. But they did have a problem because of their Grecian background about a resurrection of the body. They had a serious, serious concern about whether or not the body could be resurrected. Now, I've preached many, many messages on the resurrection. In fact, in the last two, three years, I've preached, I've preached a couple messages in one year about the resurrection. I've even talked about the resurrection of the believer. And I, and I thought about that. I'm probably not tonight. I'm going to go through that. I'm probably not next week going to go through that. I may allude to some things uh, tonight, but I'm not going to get into that. I do want to say this, though. I want to say three things about the resurrection you should take notes on. First of all, we must remind ourselves as we open up this chapter, verses 1 to, 1 to 8, we must remind ourselves the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is what differentiates Christianity from religion. It's what differentiates Christianity from religion. Now, we must understand, we proclaim loudly and boldly that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Because if Christ be not risen, your faith is in vain. We must proclaim that. Okay? When you get on the campuses... I mean, we must understand ourselves. You want to challenge your faith? Get on the campus and find some student who's steeped in evolution and other types of things. And, uh, and they've read through Darwin's books, The Origin of Species. And you start talking, you realize they don't have a concept. They, they have no concept about the resurrection. If you want to challenge your faith, if you want to come alive for Jesus Christ, you need to go there and, 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 and uh, just do like Paul did when he was in Corinth and talk with them and discuss with them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times people get into all these different philosophies and things, but the bottom line comes down, who can, who can contest what can contest and who can contest? Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. That's why Paul said in Acts 26, 8, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Paul saw the living Savior. 500 people at one time saw our living Savior. They saw the resurrected Christ. Peter saw the resurrected Christ. Each of the apostles, minus Judas, saw the resurrected Christ. So we must remember that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a critical aspect of our Christianity. You must include the resurrection when preaching the gospel. Secondly, the resurrection is an integral component of the gospel, okay? Now, think, think with me about Romans 10, 9. That if thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Paul made that a critical component. Jesus, as he stood near the tomb where, where Lazarus laid, he said, I am the resurrection, the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He proclaimed that he was the resurrection life. Look what Paul does here in chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you... First of all, notice that, that phrase, first of all, this is first in priority. He says, for I have delivered unto you, first of all, uh, that, uh, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried and that he rose again from the third day, according to the scriptures. So firstly, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is what differentiates Christianity from religion. Secondly, the resurrection is an integral component of the gospel. But thirdly, let us remember as we read through chapter 15 here and other passages of scripture, let us remember there are two resurrections. There are two resurrections, okay? Now, in John chapter 5, Jesus alludes to this. Daniel chapter 12, the Bible alludes to this. And we read this in here in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and again in Revelation, okay? There's a resurrection of life and of the just. That's, resurrect, that's one resurrection. The resurrection of life and of the just. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the damned or the unjust. Now, the first resurrection is in three stages, we read here in verse 22, Christ, uh, excuse me, verse 20, now, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them to sleep. Now, the first fruits, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the first resurrection. He's the first to rise again from the dead. The second component of this first resurrection after the first fruits is what we call the harvest. Now, the harvest is you and I. Though, though, not you and I, but though, those who are dead in Christ that will be raised at the rapture. He alludes to that here in verses 20 to 20, 26 there. He says in verse 22, verse, verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. He alludes to it again later on in verses 51 to 57. So we have the firstfruits, that's Jesus Christ, and some of the Old Testament believers who came out of their graves. We have the harvest, which will be all believers who have died in Jesus Christ, who are in the graves, and their bodies will be raised up at the rapture. And then we have what we call the gleanings. All of this is associated with the harvesting, if you would, the harvesting idea of, of a Jewish nation there. And the gleanings, if you would, are those, uh, those, uh, those great tribulation saints who have been martyred and died during the great tribulation. They are raised back to life at the start of the millennium period there, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And uh, we have that there. Now, that's the first resurrection. Three components. The first fruits, Jesus Christ. The harvest, which is believers who, are, who have died, who are raised from the dead uh, during, at the rapture. And then we have the gleanings, which are those who are those saints, those believers who died during the tribulation and are raised before the millennium. Now, the second resurrection, what is that? The second resurrection is all of the, of the damned and unjust. All those who died without Jesus Christ their Savior. They are raised from bodily from the dead. The Bible describes that at the great white throne judgment. They will stand both small and great. The dead shall stand before our Lord to receive their sentencing to the lake of fire there. That is the second resurrection. Now, that's all here. I could preach another message. I'm not planning to do that tonight. I've done that already. In fact, when I was in Revelation 20, I alluded to that. I preached on that a little bit to you just a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to get into that tonight. But what I do want to talk about what Paul talks about here in verse 26, about the last enemy that should be destroyed, which is death. And I want to preach you tonight a message entitled, The Death of Death. Notice, number one, we see the fact of death. We see the fact of death. Death is found 346 times in the Bible. The word die or died is found 510 times in the Bible. You cannot escape the fact that death is in the Bible. We cannot escape the fact that death is in our society. Uh, today, it's been a little rough for me. We did a, it was a memorial service, a homegoing service for a lady that we had the privilege of leading to the Lord back on April 5th, 2015. And we're very thankful that lady came to church. 
Her daughters came to church. They made a profession of Christ. Still working on her husband right now, trying to get the daughters back to church. But uh, going through this, I guess maybe because I'm getting a little bit older right now, that every time I do a memorial service, and uh, no matter how great the celebration, there's just something about it that just right now that just kind of rivets through me a little bit there, and it's a little bit difficult. Uh, when I know somebody that's saved, that's been, uh, that's been saved, that's gone home to be with the Lord, it's, just, it's a little bit rougher. I, I realize that to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord, all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is that the presence of that person, their friendship, everything about them is, is no longer here in this life there. And so it's just something we realize. And as we consider that, I want you to think with me this evening there, that, uh, that we think about the fact of death. Now, listen to this this evening. Death is a consequence. Death is a consequence. It's a consequence of sin. David said there is a step between me and death. That's true of all of us. Death is a consequence of sin. Genesis 2.17, here's what the Bible says. God spoke to Adam. He said this to Adam. Eve had not been taken out of his side yet. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, he gave him a commandment. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. He says, for in the day, there's no deferral there. Immediately. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He said, Adam... You are immortal right now. You cannot die. You are eternally immortal. But he says, when you eat that fruit, when you break the command of God, on that day, you have sinned and you will die. He says, on that day, you brought death upon yourself. Death is a consequence of sin. Our misery, our diseases, our ailments, our heartaches, All of those things that go on with corruption, all of that are consequences of sin. Ecclesiastes 8.8, would you notice that please? There is no man that has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither has he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Listen to Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Death is a consequence of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death is a consequence and a fallout of sin. In Genesis chapter 5, we read there about all these patriarchs and these men who were born, and then the Bible says they died. Eight times we read, they were born, and then he died. He was born and then he died. I mean, it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty pathetic. You read through that and you read about somebody being born and then they die. I mean, we have to, we just have to understand tonight that death is a consequence. There's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. Secondly, notice this. As we consider the fact of sin, there, death is, uh, death is a, uh, is a consequence. Death is also a curse. We must realize that tonight. Death is a curse. It began with one man and is passed upon all men. Listen to what the Bible says there. Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So then death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. Now you fathom me for just a minute. A curse. A curse on the whole human race for almost 7,000 years since Adam's creation, Adam's sin, Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord. They listened to the voice of the devil there in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And when they did so, 
the gloriousness that they had. The Bible says in Genesis 2, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Their bodies were clothed, similar to God with a Shekinah glory. And can you imagine with me the corruption that is in our flesh? That death is a curse. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. It's a terrible thing. It's a curse that's passed on all men. The blood of every man born in this world is cursed to corruption and death. Hebrews 9.27, and it is as it is appointed unto men, it's a curse, once to die. And after this, the judgment. Listen to what the Bible says about this curse. In Psalms 18.4, the psalmist speaks of it as the sorrows of death. In Psalms 22.15, he speaks about the dust of death. In Psalms 23.4, he speaks about the shadow of death. In Psalms 55, verse 4, there are the terrors of death. In Proverbs 13, 14, there are the snares of death. I mean, I'm going to say tonight, death is a curse. There is the fact of death. But there's a second thing tonight. There's the fact of death, which you notice secondly, which you notice the foe of death. Death is an enemy. Look again at verse 26 here. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is our foe. Death is our enemy. In Greece and Greece and Rome... The inscriptions on all their tombs indicated that death was the greatest enemy. Every tomb you passed, every place you went, in Greece and in Rome, they indicated they felt that death was their greatest enemy. They saw no hope beyond the grave. So I want you to think of me for just a minute about death being a foe. Number one, it's a hijacker. Death is a thief. It's a hijacker. A plane or car gets hijacked, someone steals it. I mean, I want you to understand tonight, death, because it's a curse, wants to steal your life. And it will steal your life. Death wants to steal your joy. It wants to take a home that is filled with love and with joy and happiness and goodness and celebrations and many memories and photographs and all these wonderful traditions and celebrations they have. And when death comes, it brings a pall over it, a darkness over it. It just, there's a, there's a shadow over that home and the joy is gone and the happiness is gone and it's hard for people to express their emotions without crying and sorrowing. Listen, death wants to steal influence and impact for your life. Listen, whenever a great saint of God, a soldier of Jesus Christ, a soul winner, a preacher of the gospel, an evangelist, a great missionary, when a great man of God and a work of God going through that man, when he leaves his life, it leaves a vacancy, it leaves a hole. The influence somehow is diminished. I think about our good friend, Brother Dan Garlic, who headed up La Spada. Brother Garlic, who's a second generation missionary and just done a great world through the, done a great work in the Spanish speaking world and all the people that knew him was a good friend of Brother Ezekiel Salazar down there in Ontario, California. And uh, Brother, Brother Garlic now has gone home to be with the Lord and for about 18 months he battled with uh, pancreatic cancer. It's amazing that God kept him along that, kept him alive that long. But even as much as the spotter right now and, and those who represent her trying to keep things going, I'm going to tell you, there's a hole there in the, in the, in the Spanish speaking world where that man had a great influence where we, help, where we help participate in buying, being, buying thousands of Bibles that were distributed to churches all throughout the Mexico area and all throughout Latin America and all of those kind of things. I mean, there's a great, great hole there. I think about some men of God in days gone by when they left this world that, thank God, they graduated from this life in the presence of God. But I think of men like Dr. John R. Rice who had a prayer list of over 200 to 300 preachers every day. He'd spend two hours a day just alone praying for those preachers, for God to work in life. There were some 
something going on around fundamental Baptists, independent Baptists during the 50s, 60s, and early 70s there under John R. Rice's ministry as he prayed for it. kept it together. There was, just, there was a, just a camaraderie and there was just a collectiveness and a unity among independent Baptists in spite of the fact there were different camps and segments of that. But when Dr. Rice left, that, that, that emphasis on revival and soul winning and all those kind of things, someone took a step down. It seemed, some, seemingly just diminished a little bit. And since those days, it's never really had the, the same kick that it's had back in those days. Of course, I understand those were the days as Lou Ross, you would say, probably the tail end of the last great revival period of our, of our generation there. But I want to say this, whenever someone like that leaves, their influence is dramatically, uh, their influence in a community, in a world, in an area, is greatly diminished there because they're gone. I want to tell you tonight, death is a hijacker. Death wants to steal your loved ones from you. My wife today got a, a picture sent her by one of my daughters that my, she found. And it was a picture back in our old metal, metal building fellowship hall. I didn't even recognize what building it was. My wife did it. It was my, my wife standing next to her, uh, her mother. When her mother was alive, her mother had come to our service. Her mother was a saved lady, a great lady. And she had come to one of us. They took a picture together. It was a great picture. And, and uh, my wife's caption on that, I sure miss my mom. And I felt that way. I felt that way this afternoon as I looked at that picture there. And I want to tell you that when death comes, on one end it's a graduation from this life, but it, death, death steals our loved ones from us. Death steals their, 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 their you know, we can, remember their, we can remember their voices, but there's that warmth in the seat that they used to sit in is no longer there. And uh, I think what David said, he said, thy, thy seat shall be empty and thou shalt be missed. Death wants to steal your strength as people are wasting away and, 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 uh, from, from whatever may be going on in their life. It steals your strength from you. It wants to take your best years from you. I mean, when we think about that, it's a hijacker. But notice, death also brings heartache. It's amazing while COVID's going on, the increase... The increase of individuals and families going through serious heartache. I had a meeting last night with my wife with a family that got two children, both going through major health trials. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. The extremes of anxiety... And clinical depression and all these other disorders, none of those compare to the sorrow and heartache that death brings into a household. Sorrow and sighing can stay with a person for many years. I know many who still grieve right now. When heartache comes, it affects your joy and your appetite, your sleeping, your positive spirit, your energy level. And as much as we try to get someone motivated until you're in their place, and you've sat where they're sad, you just have to understand that what may motivate you at that moment doesn't necessarily motivate them. Smiles and laughter are gone. Homes, as I said, they once were a happy place, or places of sobbing and crying and grieving on the other end. Look what the heartache a young married couple with a little baby that's taken from them. Think about what they have to go through. Think about it does for a couple that's been married for many, many years. A husband and wife team that almost seem inseparable. 
And they feel inseparable. One's gone. The life and the one that's still here feels like their life was taken from them. I think about how it breaks the heart of the strongest man. I've been to enough services to see men that you thought were very strong break down and cry and weep, agonize. Death is a foe. Death is a fact. But I want to tell you something tonight. Listen to me this evening. Death is a foe. Death is a fact. But death has a finish. Amen. Death has a finish. The Bible tells us here that it says in verse 26, verse 25 and 26, where he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Stories told about a mother who took her daughter and her younger brother out into the garden. It was springtime. They're running around in the garden. The kids are running around. Mom was taking care of her flowers. The bees were out. Bumblebees were out. <clears throat> Honeybees were out. The little brother, unbeknownst to him, a bee landed on his forearm and it stung him. The little kid knew he got stung. He let, a, he let out a cry like a banshee. Ah! Started crying. Mom turned her attention to him. The older sister got scared and concerned, and she started running to mom. I mean, it just it was kind of just pandemonium for a few minutes as far as the children were concerned. And the mother tried to calm them down, and actually the sister, who had not been stung, was a little bit more concerned than the boy. And she said, come here, Susie. She said, I want you to see something. And as she was comforting the little boy, she said, I want you to see something here. She says, now look down at your brother's arm. And she looked there, and she saw right there as it was starting to swell up, she saw the, 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 the honeybee or the bumblebee. She saw the stinger embedded right there in the forearm. She said, now, honey, I want you to understand something there, okay? The, 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 the bumblebee can't hurt you. She says, the bumblebee can buzz around you, but he can't hurt you. You see, he can only sting once. He's left his stinger in your brother. I want to tell you something tonight. As we study the Bible, that's what Paul is going to allude to later on in chapter 15. The sting of death one day will be gone. There will be the death of death. Death will be finished. The stinger be taken out. I want you to understand something tonight. First of all, Jesus defeated death when he rose from the dead. Jesus defeated death when he rose from the dead. I want you to go back with me a couple thousand years ago and go back with me to Golgotha's Hill. I want you to remember with me as Jesus hung on that cross and as he was agonizing there and life was ebbing from him, he got to that moment where he knew that he was going to, this was it. His heart was about to explode. He was drained of blood and all of those things and life had gone out of him. And he cried out those words, Tetelestai, or it is finished. And when he said it was finished, the sin debt had been paid for in full, but we must understand something. His life within him was gone. Listen, the light went from his eyes. The breath went out of his mouth. There's no more breathing. There was no more heart rate. There's no more heart beating. There was no more, there's no blood flow. There's no more brain energy. I mean, everything about him, he had physically and clinically could be declared dead. The body of our Savior Jesus Christ was dead. And with all the mourning and sorrow of his friends that were there, Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea got up there and they gingerly took the body down. They placed, if you would, 
100 pounds of aloes and, smir- and, and spices and things on their body. And they wrapped his body in clean linen cloth. They carried that body to the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea gave to our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a never used tomb. It was an empty tomb. It was a never before used tomb. He had bought it for himself. He carved it out of the rock. He says, you know what? I need to give this to Jesus because if I don't, they're going to take his body like a common criminal and throw it down in the valley of Gehenna and burn the body there. And we're not going to have that happen. He donated and put the, he, he gave that donated that tomb and gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ as something he wanted to do. Now I want you to understand, Jesus is placed on a slab in that tomb. His lifeless body is there. Life has gone out of him. Just like everybody, every, everybody that dies, it changes color. You know that the look of death is on it. And death has incorporated that body. I want you to understand that death is in that tomb as well. As soon as that body's placed there, wrapped in the spices, wrapped with the linen, and as soon as the tomb was covered with that, with, with that rock that covered it, I want you to understand that death was inside that tomb. And Death was there wringing its hands with a smile on his face and saying, yep, I got him too. I claimed another victim. In fact, this is the biggest victim I've ever claimed. I've claimed the one who said he was the son of God. I've claimed the one who said he was the resurrection life. I've claimed the one who raised people back to life, but I got him now. I've got him. He is mine. I'm the king in this situation. He's not king. I'm king. I'm king over this situation. And death was there laughing. And death was there with Satan uh, just rejoicing that the son of God appeared to be dead to them, that they looked at his body and said he's a lifeless body. But oh, my friend, three days later, as that body was lying there and they were rejoicing and they were celebrating and there were smiles on their face, thinking that they had conquered the Son of Man. Oh, listen, something that only the Scriptures can explain, something that was miraculous and something that was powerful happened that moment. There, before the sun rose up on that third day, light came back to those eyes and breath came back in those lungs and breathing came back in that mouth. And listen, that body came out of those linen, those linen, those linen the linen there, the body came out of it, and as the body came out, he got he by himself he unwrapped that the that the napkin that had shrouded his face, and he wrapped it very carefully, placed it on that slab. And listen, death was watching all this. Death said, this is not possible. I mean, nobody's ever risen from the dead on his own. Never, nobody, never is a man who stopped breathing and his heart stopped beating. And never is a man whose brain stopped seizing. Never has a man ever risen back to life like this one. But this man rose back to life. This man was there. And death now, instead of thinking he was king, and thinking, instead of thinking that it was conqueror over the situation, death now has cowered into a corner. And is cowered in the corner is thinking... I don't know what's going to come, but it doesn't look very good for me. And then Jesus rolled the stone away. And as he came out, the women that were there, that came by a little bit later, they heard the announcement, he is not here. He's risen from the dead. My friend, brother, sister in Christ, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. Thank God Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He looked at sin Death and Satan right in the eye. And he said these words that are recorded in the book of Revelation. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I imagine Jesus taking death as he walked out that tomb and walked back in. I imagine taking death by the throat picking him up like this and power slamming him onto the concrete and basically saying, you're defeated, my friend. There's the death of death. You've been defeated. My resurrection has defeated you. You couldn't hold me. Listen, the grave could not hold him. The rock couldn't keep him from coming out. Death couldn't hold him. He broke that. I'm telling you today, Jesus took the sting out of death. Beloved, Jesus lives forever. We have a risen Savior. He cannot die. He's the resurrection life. Hey, thank God today, Jesus defeated death. He took the sting out of death today. 
Hebrews 2, 9 says this, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. But then we go down to verse 14. I love what it says there. Hebrews 2, 14 says, for as much as then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Hey, you can rejoice tonight, brother and sister in Christ. Jesus Christ has destroyed death. But it gets better than that. Look at 2 Timothy 1.10. But now it is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know what that means? He's abolished death. He took the sting out of death. He defeated death. There was the death of death when Jesus rose again from the dead and he's brought immortality and life. There is the death of death. Thank God tonight, Jesus overcame death at his resurrection. But we see a second thing in our passage of scripture. Death was defeated at the resurrection. But notice, death is defeated at the rapture. Go with me to verses 50 to 57. Verses 50 to 57 are still following the context of a resurrected body. And remember, Paul is dealing with a Grecian mindset that did not believe, and a Corinthian mindset that did not believe that that a bodily resurrection could occur. And Paul wrote these wonderful monumental words in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot Inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you get asked the question, will my human body go to heaven? No. But a glorified body will. Amen. Neither does corruption inherit inherit, uh, uh, incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now Paul said, I'm going to tell you what it is. But if you want further explanation, I'm just going to tell you what it is. And you're going to have to figure it out yourself. He says, we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. Now who's the we? The dead in Christ and those alive in Christ. We shall all be changed. He's talking about what is mentioned in Philippians 3.21. In Philippians 3.21, the vile corrupted bodies lying in the graves will be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to working whereby he is able even to subdue all things of himself. Now I love Philippians 3.21 because it speaks about our bodies being vile and corrupt. Listen, they're cursed. But he's going to change it. And only God can change it. Amen. Doctors can't change it. Plastic surgeons cannot change it. Scientists cannot change it. Chirogenics cannot change it. Hey, only God is able to subdue all things unto himself. He says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, listen, this is from Isaiah 25, 8, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, there's a crescendo that builds up when that all happens. There's the sound of a trumpet. The last trumpet shall sound. The voice of the archangel. There'll be a shout. These are the sounds of victory. 
bodies of the saved will undergo a change. The natural body will become a spiritual body. Read the preceding verses. Death is swallowed up in victory. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortal. The sting of death is gone forever. I want you to understand when Jesus rose from the dead, he took death by the throat. He subdued death on the floor. He put his mighty foot on death's neck. And as his foot stands on the neck, he says, you're a defeated foe. Because the Bible says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And I remind you tonight, he not only bruises Satan under our feet, he bruises, the, he bruises death under his feet. And now he does it again at the, at the resurrection of the believer. As the, as the dead in Christ are raised again, he takes death again. And he steps on his neck. And he says, you're a defeated foe, my friend. He says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. My friend, there's the finish of death. There's one more thing as we notice tonight and we're done. I want you to consider the future and death. Now when you're healthy, you're alive, everything's going good, death doesn't bother you. But a day comes, unless the rapture comes first, death will come knocking at the door. And when it does come knocking the door, hopefully you're prayed up. You're so in love with Jesus, you're ready. I'm fearful to say I think most of us are not ready. But the Bible gives us some words of courage this evening. But you notice some things? Look at Psalms 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know what, number one? We can have courage. We can have courage. We can have courage. For thou art with me. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Hey, listen, we can have courage tonight. Secondly, we can have hope. Listen to the words of Proverbs 14, 32. The wicked is driven away in its wickedness. But the righteous hath hope in his death. That's good. The righteous has hope in his death. In 2 Corinthians 5, when we get that study in a few weeks, Paul likens our body to a tent, to a tabernacle. We're going to put off this old tabernacle. And God's going to give us a new one. He's going to give us a new one that can't rot, that can't corrupt, that's indestructible, that's immortal, that's incorruptible. We can have courage. We can have hope. But notice Philippians 1.21, we have gain. For to me to live is Christ. And notice these last words. To die is gain. It's a graduation. We've been passed from death to life. We're experiencing resurrected life. We're immortal. We're received into glory. We now have our inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. We're more alive at that moment than we were before. We have Jesus, amen? 
Revelation 14, 13, we read, we are blessed. He said, blessed are the dead forevermore. I want to encourage you tonight. As Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us about the fact of death, the foe of death, the finish of death, but the future in death. Let's be courageous. Let's have hope. Let's realize we have gain. Like Abraham, we're looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There's a death of death. We're looking for that city. We're pilgrims on a journey right now. Your journey may end in this life, but your journey to heaven has just begun. Because our, pro- our Savior promised, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he begins building that mansion. When you breathe your last breath in this life, you graduate from this life into the presence of the Lord, that mansion is completed and ready for you to occupy. And you'll be with the Lord forever and forever. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have your eyes on the heavenly city. Let's thank God for all that he reveals to us here. And we'll get more into this a little bit further next time we study. But let's thank God tonight. There's the death.